Hello, loyal listeners. You're tuned in to Real People of Orange County on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. We are broadcasting live from the University of California campus in Irvine. We're streaming on the web at KUCI.org. We are always available via podcast, both on KUCI's website as well as Kimberly Martin's website. I'm your guest host, Marie Stone. The show, as we said, is an informative look inside the lives of Orange County's best and brightest. The guests on this show are all people who serve their community in a meaningful capacity. Today is no exception. We're tackling another little bit of a tough topic, but we're going to make it not so tough, but uh, all too common. That is divorce. Orange County has one of the highest divorce rates in the nation. The national average is 50%. Uh, California is 60%. I've seen statistics that suggest Orange County is 70%. 70% of marriages in Orange County ending in divorce. And while it's sometimes inevitable, it doesn't have to be as painful and damaging and hideous as its reputation suggests. Patrice Corteau is a collaborative divorce solutions uh, divorce coach. I hadn't even heard of divorce coaches until a couple of weeks ago, and I'm loving this topic. She's a divorce coach, a child specialist. She is a licensed marriage and family therapist, and she is here to take the um, take the scary out of the divorce process. Patrice, welcome. Thank you so much. Thanks for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for coming on. This is um, this is yet another. I, I love this show because we get to talk to so many interesting people about topics that I didn't even know existed. We were talking about death coaches, and now we get to talk about divorce coaches. And I, I think this is such a such an important topic. So I'm going to let you kind of introduce yourself and talk about how you got into this and a little bit more about what you do. Thank you. Well, I have to tell you, I didn't know that divorce coaches existed. I didn't know anything about collaborative divorce when I went through divorce in 2004. That went on until 2007 and had um, young children go through the process. And I have to tell you, I had believed everything I'd seen on Paper Chase and the programs that I had seen growing up. I had even been a pre-law major um, at UCLA and honestly was so appalled But what I saw within the court system and the lack of concern and care for families in that process. It doesn't mean there aren't good people that do the work, but it is such a money-making industry that I think often it's forgotten that there are children and families that are affected by the people who are divorcing. And the people who are divorcing are in such pain that they don't see how their pain is affecting everyone around them. So as I was going through the process... um, I kept thinking there has to be a better way for my family, for my children, for my parents, for my in-laws, for, you know, my family beyond my own family, my friends, um, because everybody that cared about us were deeply affected by it. And I knew about mediation, and I had actually hoped that we could do something like that in our divorce, but um, the train had already left the station by the time that I was even aware that we were moving into that divorce process. So Hmm. uh, I found out about collaborative divorce. From a therapist that I know who suggested that my attitude was so positive through such a difficult time that I should really find out more about collaborative divorce. So I attended a luncheon. I was so impressed by the professionals that were in the room. In fact, a therapist that my ex-husband and I had gone to was one of the people in the room, exceptionally, exceptionally good at therapy work. Her name is Carol Hughes, Dr. Carol Hughes. And I was so impressed that she was in the room and working with these other professionals, that I was hooked. And then I met um, Leslie Newman, who is an attorney, and she said, you have to come and 
learn this, and it's quite a bit of education. There's education that goes on continuously for people in the collaborative arena. Mm. Um, it's part of the best part of it because you continue to learn. I loved my profession as a therapist, still do. <clears throat> love working with children, mm. love working with families, but working with families in this kind of a process where you really are doing as much damage control as you possibly can as quickly as possible so that people start to move toward health mm-hmm. and recovery. I was also um, a guest speaker on a regular basis for the Divorce Recovery Program at St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church that is one of the oldest recovery programs in the nation. In fact, spawned many recovery programs internationally as well as nationally. Outstanding program. In fact, that runs this year, September 15th through October 30th. Wow. And it's a six-week program that's outstanding. I was speaking for them as a guest speaker, motivating people past divorce. And here I was going through divorce. Mm. So I was exactly where I was supposed to be exactly at the right time in my life. And it's interesting how things work out that way. Isn't it? And yeah. the people you meet. Yeah, yes. the people you meet. Right. I have to say, you. I mean, I've known you for 10 minutes. No, I've known you for, you know. I mean, we talked on the phone once, and we've been together for a half hour now. And there is such a calming presence about you. You would know that you're in this field. I mean, maybe not the divorce field, but certainly in the, the marriage and family therapy field. Right off the bat, I feel like people, you know, I just calm down around you. You have such a calming presence. And, and what a great gift that is for people who are in trauma and, and going through probably one of the worst things in there you can go through in life. I had the opportunity to... Um be honored to be a teacher in the Irvine School District for 11 years, and I worked with kids day in, day out. And I learned that the calmer I was, especially in the midst of chaos, mm-hmm, <laughs> which mm-hmm. it can be around children, right. um, the calmer I was, the better the situation. So I, it was something that um, becomes an acquired skill. Even though there are times inside I may be racing very quickly because my brain works very fast, um, and I speak very quickly. It's part of my heritage, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> But you're right, and I, and I appreciate you saying that because I think it is part of the calming that goes on in the process. To know that you've been through it and you can help guide somebody else through it is really helpful for Well, that, that's the other part of this. I mean, separate and apart from your great personality is that you came from a perspective of knowing how painful this is and knowing what your clients are going through and, and understanding all of the complicated issues. And, you know, there, there's great comfort in that, too, that, that you've been there. And you know. I can remember not being able to take a deep breath. And thinking that if my heart pounded anymore, it would pound out of my chest when I would get really frustrated by what I was seeing and what I was experiencing. Because often in the court environment, it isn't always truth that comes forward, but the person who can tell the story the best. Mm. And I haven't learned to just stay very calm in that environment as well. Yeah. So it's been a benefit. Right, right. Mm -hmm. So maybe we should talk about... um, well, one thing that I've noticed that I was going to say is I, I'm 45 and I came through kind of the first big divorce um, wave, I feel like, in the 70s and 80s. And my observation, and I, this is totally anecdotal, it's absolutely not statistical, but, but I was so surprised to hear this 70% number in Orange County. And it feels like my generation whose parents divorced are less likely to divorce as adults because we saw it from that end and it was so incredibly painful and we'll do anything to, you know, prevent our kids from going through it. And I don't, I don't know if that's true, you know, because the, the, the people that I know whose parents divorced are staying married as, and, and the people that I know whose parents married throughout their lives are more prone to divorce. And I, that seems to go actually against statistics. But 
It's an interesting thing. We're noticing that there's a lot more of what's being referred to as gray divorce. Mm. People who've been married 20 years, 25 years, 30 years plus, and choosing now that their children are, you know, leaving the nest, so to speak, um, not to stay together. And it's, it is a very sad statistic in many ways because it is really tough to stay in a marriage, especially if you don't feel you, your needs are being met in the marriage or you feel that your role in the marriage isn't enough for you, mm-hmm. that I, I'm sad to think that the generation that's coming up, our children, mm-hmm. may choose not to marry, um, may choose to come together as couples, even have children, but not marry. If people knew how hard it is to divorce, they'd look carefully at it to begin with. I think there needs to be some more education about marriage, not just premarital work, but really what it means to go through a divorce process, because it is far more expensive than what you spend for the big weddings and all of that. It is. It can be a very expensive process. It doesn't need to be, but it can be. Right, right. Yeah, I, I have heard that you're right, that this generation that's coming up are less likely to mm-hmm. run to the altar than other mm-hmm. generations were. And mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's right. So let's talk a little bit about traditional divorce. We keep talking about what court um, looks like for people who haven't been through this, and then we can contrast that to collaborative divorce. So collaborative divorce is, a, is an interesting idea. The couple makes a decision to do some kind of peaceful resolution to the conflicts that they're feeling. And couples that are educated about this, um, and divorce options, by the way, is a great class at Orange Coast College that teaches all the different kinds of divorce you can go through, all the way from what we refer to as the cafe method, where you sit down at your kitchen table and you, over coffee, decide this is how we're going to do this, all the way to you know an expensive litigated divorce. So collaborative divorce The couple chooses to hire the professionals to handle each of the three areas or four areas of divorce, one being obviously communication. Mm -hmm. If their communication isn't good and they want help with that, that's where the divorce coaches come into play. Keeping their divorce family centered is where their child specialist is hired because they're the facilitator of communication for the family. Mm -hmm. They're the person that we'll see all family members and all family members together at times, which is really great. The collaborative attorneys who vow and sign an agreement not to go to court, no matter what, they will not go to court. And the financial neutral who helps educate both parties on the financial information of the family, because we know Money is often a big reason people divorce, but it isn't money so much as understanding money and how money is used and how money comes into the family and that kind of thing. So the neutrality of the financial neutral teaching the financial facts that have to be understood before decisions can be made. Mm-hmm. You pull this team together. The coaches are working with the couple individually and the couples together to communicate well. So when they're in the room with the attorneys and the financial and the child specialist, their time is well spent. The child specialist is working on family dynamics Hmm. so that post-divorce, there's a way for the family to communicate that may be different than the way they were communicating in the household before the household split. Um, And it, this synergy that happens with the professionals who are focused on the well-being of the family. It is not about he gets, she gets. It's about what will the family benefit most from 
in the decision-making they make. So it's one of the first big decisions they make to stay out of court and have a peaceful resolution and something that they can live with well past the signing of their agreements. And it actually keeps them from having to go back and change those agreements because they're comfortable with what they decided up front. So great. So great. I'm trying to remember, I don't know as much about the family law area, um, how lawyers get paid if you go the traditional route. Are they incentivized to get a better deal for their client? Do they get a percentage of that, or are they strictly paid by the hour? So I don't know in litigation how that really works, except that the more conflict you have in litigation, the more money that's going to be made. That's right. right. So in this, the idea is you're reducing the conflict right off the bat. Um, So there isn't the amount of money that can be made. And I think what I enjoy most is that the people that I work with, they aren't focused on the money. They are focused on the well-being and the resolution. Nine times out of ten, there are things that aren't even charged to the client because if the team feels there's something that needs to be worked on for the team so they can help the family more, um, they may not even bill for that. And there's so much that's given because this work is about heart. It is about... um, always being in your higher self so that you can teach clients to be in their higher self. Um, I was drawn to collaborative work because the professionals I get to work with are amazing human beings. So great. So great. Are there personalities that this doesn't work as well for, you know, really combative? (laughs) Uh, It's interesting. We're doing more and more and more in, in cases that have high conflict. Mm -hmm. And actually those are the cases you really want in collaborative, (laughs) even though they're harder to work with. Um, Because there's always a reason why somebody is showing up the way they're showing up. And if you can understand the dynamics in that. Now, I want to be really clear. The coaches that are doing this work, even though they're trained as therapists, they're not doing therapy. Hmm. Coaching is a little different, and I'll explain what that looks like. In therapy, I might say to a client, so how does that make you feel? And talk about that, right? Coaching, we don't have time to go through all that. We have a meeting coming up that you have to be prepared for, and you're going to have to talk in that meeting or be able to have your ideas come across in that meeting. How are we going to do that when you're nervous about how that other person might have talked to you a week ago or left a phone message for you or an email and you're unhappy about? Mm. So it's a lot more. I went to UCLA, so Coach Wooden was someone that was oh, um, yeah. very much, I was very impressed by. Yeah. Taking the best the person can do and improving on that is really the focus of a coach. Okay. And you have a time frame that's, that is limited to be able to do that because the longer you're involved in a divorce case, the more expensive a divorce case is. So we really try and economize, okay. you know, time and effort. Yeah, yeah. Have most of these couples already gone through couple counseling and therapy and they're coming to you and the, the decision is now the decision? There's no getting out of it? That's a great question. I'd like to say, yes, they've done their work, but often divorce is used as a threat or a way to get someone's attention. And once they've started down that road, now they're down that road. I will tell you, this is going to sound strange, but the most successful divorces have not ended in divorce at all. Mm -hmm. That by the time they have learned everything they need to learn, something about each of them has shifted in a way. And we use that word shifted often because you can tell when someone shifts from I'm very angry and wounded and hurt to I'm willing to understand what it is you need. That's a shift. That's a huge shift. Mm -hmm. When they can get to a place where they can respect each other on a whole different level and they've got their marital settlement agreement in front of them and they decide not to, to sign it, and this has happened to me now twice in cases, wow. that's a celebration because they've decided that 
there is something to continue to work toward. That being said, in the collaborative process, we always have the recommendation that couples are individually seeing therapists and working with therapists. Even the kids are working with therapists so that they're still working on whatever issues they have that they're bringing to the table. Mm -hmm. So if I can explain that even better, (laughs) um, we live in a society, and this is my opinion only, Mm -hmm. that marriages change up as quickly as people decide what car they're going to buy next it's a sad state of the how things are, but mm-hmm. they really do. And when it gets tough, they tend to bail mm-hmm. more than to try and really work on what's going on. Or they'll live in kind of a silent state of denial, <laughs> you know, really of what their relationship's all about. I'd like to say that people have done their work. What we will do is if we see that there's something that needs to be done or something that could potentially hold the couple together, the team of people are usually such compassionate people that they'll put everything on hold until they can work on what they need to work on. And it, and the clients are always in charge of the process, meaning, let me, let me understand, make sure you understand what I mean by that. Yeah. We use an analogy of flying a plane. The team will fly the plane for you, but the couple will decide their destination. So they may need to land a couple of different times, or they may choose a different direction than where they thought they were going. That's okay, because the team will do whatever is in the best interest of the clients and what the clients are asking for. So great. Yeah, it really is different. Wonderful, yeah. Yeah, it's different. I always wonder if, because we're living so much longer now, if marriage was, you know, if this institution that we set up, this is a whole different discussion, but this institution that we set up, you know, when people lived until they were 30 or 35, there was really a financial structure to, you know, I don't know, farm or something (laughs) If it was meant to bear the the burden of, you know, sometimes 65 years, people are, you know, now celebrating these long anniversaries. That's an amazing, that's an amazing insight because you're right. We are living longer and people want to live better and want to have the skills to be able to do that and often don't know how to find those skills. So then they end up in conflict. But you're right. Yeah. People are living longer and longer and longer. Yeah. The Mm -hmm. expectations on marriage have, have really upped you know, over time too. And you, you expect this person to be your best friend and your best lover and your confidant and a great dad and a sexy dad, you know, I mean, all these things that you're like, wow, you've really asked a lot of this person, you know, that, uh, that key that you just said, the key word was expectations. And often that's what gets us in the deepest trouble because our expectations may not meet really what the demands are that are going on in our lives. But I, I think that's a really good point. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I love this. My guest today is Patrice Courteau, and we she is a divorce coach. Um, so let's also talk about um, if you um, if, what advice you give people because you've seen so many divorces now and, and seen so many couples. Advice for people to avoid divorce, having been steeped in this world. Kind of common mistakes and patterns you see people making that you could kind of head them off at the pass before we before we get to you. Okay. So, and it's interesting because I do work with couples um, before divorce and normally I, you know, I wouldn't work with them through the divorce. Um, but sometimes, sometimes I do. Sometimes I'll be that therapist that's there for them while they're going through divorce. Mm -hmm. Here's what I want to say. I think, what is it about life unexamined? (laughs) When people don't examine their lives and they don't think about what they're either bringing or not bringing to the table, that is affecting their expectations of the relationship. 
I honestly want to tell you that only the healthiest of people seek therapy. Mm-hmm. I, and for years of being a therapist, I've been so aware of this, mm-hmm. that when someone knows there's something they need to work on, they seek help for that. Mm-hmm. Um, there's an awful lot of family history that goes on that people bring that family history into the relationship that they have with another person and that they can understand the dynamics of that. So they get a chance to really be an observer of their life mm-hmm. rather than just living their day to day. A lot of the work I do is also teaching people to find great joy in the simple things that they do every day of their lives, because I think we're moving at such a fast pace. Our technology is creating it. Um, Everything happens faster these days that when we slow down and really appreciate the simple things of life, we're so much happier. So teaching clients to be able to do that sometimes can help them see the other partner in a different way. Yeah, yeah. That actually brings up the point of why the Orange County divorce rate, Orange County specifically, California is greater than the the national average, but Orange County is even worse. <laughs> and um, and you're right. I think our expectations here in Southern California, where it's always sunny, if there's a rainy day, we can't tolerate it. Um, you know, we're, it's incredibly generally affluent. So our our financial expectations are high. Our weather expectations are high. Our looks expectations are really ridiculous in this county, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, talk a little bit about that, about why you think Orange County is, is particularly susceptible. Again, I'll go back to that idea of the expectation. You know, the white picket fence and the perfect children, the perfect home, the perfect cars to drive, the perfect all of that. Um, we fall prey to that here, unfortunately. And we see it in our media and we, we set our sights for what we see in magazines and what the expectation is supposed to be. And are our children being educated the way our neighbor's children is being educated? And there is so much competition that if you fall susceptible to it, mm-hmm. you, it's really hard to get out of it really hard to get out of it. So again, it goes back to that idea that what is enough? What makes you feel complete? Because it isn't honestly going to be that next outfit you buy or the car you buy or the house you have or whatever. It really isn't. That complete comes from what's inside. It starts there. But we're not necessarily taught how to do that. I was having a great conversation um, with a A friend of mine, I have a parent with Alzheimer's, Mm -hmm. so I have caregiving that goes on 24 hours a day. And I'm part of that caregiving, but the caregivers that also work with me are remarkable people. Mm -hmm. Remarkable people. (laughs) And we were having this conversation about expectations for kids and why don't we teach in the high school, you know, living 101. Here are the things you're going to need to know in order to be able to have a successful adulthood. Right. Once you leave college, what's the reality of what it's like when you leave the cocoonness of a college environment? And how are you going to pay your bills? And how are you going to make sure that you can get up each day and go to work and really love what you do? Right. That, I think, is something that really does need to be taught at a very young age. And trying to teach that um, requires a lot of insight and a lot of focus. But it would be really interesting if we could teach adult living the reality of adult living in a high school environment, wouldn't that be something? Or junior high, even earlier. Yeah. Right? Actually, the younger kids are, the more they're likely to listen and yeah. hear it. Yeah. Right. I, I taught fifth grade, which was a phenomenal grade to teach because kids are just at that age where they're observing everything around them. Yes. 
Yeah. yeah, they're old enough to understand it, and they're young enough to still listen to what you have to say. Yeah. Interesting enough, as a child specialist, it's amazing how children are experts on their parents, and parents have no idea how knowledgeable kids are. And they think they, they don't know this about them, or they don't know this about how they communicate, or the fight that's gone on, or whatever. Kids know so much more than parents realize. That's terrifying. It's true, and mm-hmm. it's terrifying. I think it's... Um, yeah, and I, I think to parent, you really have to... I mean, the most painful part of parenting for me is all the self-examination that's required. I mean, you really don't have to think about all this stuff if there are no kids involved. But now you have <laughs> to true. really confront what you really think about God and what you really think about money and what you really <laughs> to pass it on to this person. Because they're going to ask, yes. you know, and, and if you have the kind of relationship you really do want to foster with your children, what you can have dialogue about something that you can have an opinion. They can have an opinion. It doesn't have to be the same. But you can have the dialogue. Um, I feel very blessed to have that with my children. Um, They've taught me so much. And I I also want to say divorce has taught me a tremendous amount about how to listen and how to be in the moment. Um, You have to fight it all the time (laughs) because there's something pulling your attention away all the time. But to stay in the moment and to stay focused with your kids in the moment, really sitting down and taking time, it's hugely important. Yeah. In their lives. Yeah. How did, do you feel like this divorce continue? Your, I mean, you don't have to speak personally, but now I'm going to ask you a personal question. You can just say, I'm not going to answer that. <laughs> but um, through the process, if the kids are still impacted by, you know, did, did it significantly shape who they became, do you think? And In our personal situation, absolutely. And it, there's still tremendous growing that's coming from it. Mm-hmm. Um, I often think about it this way. It was absolute pain with a purpose, a little bit like childbirth. (laughs) You know that you get to that point, you're like, okay, I've changed my mind. I really don't want to push this baby out. Um, (laughs) However, the moment you're holding your child in your arms or your children, uh, there's nothing that compares to it. Um, The pain of it, I would never want to go through again. I would never want my children to go through again. But now I'm seeing all the positives that came from something so difficult, a little bit like a forest fire, mm-hmm. and the growth that comes after it is remarkable. Mm-hmm. But your mindset has to put you in that place because if it doesn't, devastation can stay devastation in a person's life forever. And, and it can actually destroy their future. Yeah. So a lot of the work I do is you don't have time to let it destroy your future. There's right. got to be something that's coming from this that you can't see now but trust that something amazing is going to come from it. And my life, it has shown that way, and it's showing that way for my children as well. And you have to be open to it. You have to open your mind to say, this is a better, you know, yeah. what came yeah. is better. Teach me what I need to know, and so I only have to learn it once. Right. <laughs> I don't want to go through it again. Right. Yeah, right. yeah. That's a big part of um, getting through and being healthy. Um the Divorce Recovery Program, one of the neat things I like about that is that people come together in group, and they have um, a group that they attend for six weeks. They have a lecture that they listen to in a group. But for the rest of time, the people that they've interacted with, if they choose to stay in friendship with, those people still continue to teach you, and you have this lovely community where you're not feeling alone, and you're not feeling um, vulnerable, and you're not feeling lost. So I would say if you are contemplating divorce, it's a really good idea to start into a recovery program before you even start the divorce process Wow! so that you prepare. It's a little bit like if you knew there was a chance 
that you were going to have to deal with cancer in your life? What changes would you make in your diet, in your lifestyle, in your, ed, in your even your, and your physicality, all of it? Yeah, what would yeah. you do differently? And I think it's really important to think that way. Yeah, right. How long have you guys been around, Collaborative Divorce? You know, it's been around for actually quite a while. It started um, in the Midwest and came this direction. The group that I am associated with, Collaborative Divorce Solutions of Orange County, and there's a website for it. It's www.cdsoc.com. Yeah, um, I definitely want to get this website out there. Yeah, yeah, 13, I think it's 13 years that wow. this group has been in place. And it really started with a group of people that came together and said there might be a better way. And, hey, we heard about this better way. And what do you think? And it, um, this organization continues to grow, uh, meets monthly, and has education monthly. I'm actually the vice president this year. Um, it's all volunteer. All the work that you do for it's volunteer. But I, I'm in charge of the guest speakers, actually, that come and educate. So I'm, I, I'm really, really fond of the work that we're doing. That's really great. And what percentage would you say go through collaborative divorce versus um, court divorce? Because most people don't know about it, I would say there's not a large percentage. However, in the time that I've been doing this work and I got involved about 2005, started to really wanting to understand more and more about what people were doing in it, um, I've seen seen it grow because I've seen people that – oh, I heard about this, or I went to the divorce options, or I got your name from somebody. or And that referral base is pretty wide because people that do trusts, people that do um, real estate, people that do child care, <laughs> you know, and they know that there's a, a divorce pending, they'll make a referral. And then all of a sudden you open that world up to the other professionals that are available. And then each client interviews the professionals they want to work with, and then they decide together. Who oh, their okay. team's going to be. So you can, as the client, you can choose who you're Absolutely. Your it is completely and... your choice. Okay. And you put your team together, which right. that empowerment right there of making those first choices together, huge. Right. right. That's huge for people. Yeah, that's incredible. It also strikes me that because the um, recidivism is the wrong word, but because <laughs> when, you, when you divorce once, you're more likely, I think I've heard, to divorce a second and third time. But going through this process strikes me that you would learn some lessons maybe about communication or how to, you know, I don't know, how, how to, you know, get through some of these um, difficult, hard conversations that could help you the next time. You do yeah, and, you know, the nice thing is that you've met professionals that you can refer other people to. Um, mm-hmm. Normally, when you finish your divorce, you don't stay working with the people that you've worked with on your team, which is good because you've moved beyond it. But you're right. What you've learned, you can take into that next relationship. I think it's one of the reasons our divorce rate is so high in Orange County, because it does take into second and third divorces. And you're right. You're going to take the problems that you had in the first divorce into the second and into the third because the relationships are, you know, unless you're making that shift of what you need to do differently. Also, tend to look for similar personalities, even though how crazy does that sound that you'd want to get into a difficult situation? Really, the psyche understands how to deal with it because it's been dealing with whatever that problem is for a while. So you gravitate toward it. Right. That's why people end up, you know, marrying an alcoholic yep. when they divorce an alcoholic. Why? Because they think they know more about it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and the heart really steers towards those old familiar patterns. They, it, it just loves them. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of truth to that. There's so much of that. 
Um, I'd love to get back to the children issue because, and that's another one of your specialists. And I was wondering um, if, you know, if there's a kind of a, a good age or a bad age to um, to divorce. You know, I hear a lot of people say, oh, my kid's two, I'm going to wait. Or, or is, is there a psychologically better age on your kids to go through this process? That's a fascinating question. And the, re- the way I want to answer that is no matter the age of a child, small child, all the way to, you know, 30, 40, 50 years old, it has a huge impact on children. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, the older children are, sometimes the impact can be even more frightening to them because here they, for all this time they expected their parents would stay together and thought they'd be together and now they're not going to be together and what does that say about you know what my future could be like marrying and yeah so is there a good age no. no is there a better age than another age no but i will say this there's a better way for parents to show up mm-hmm. because that conscientious uncoupling kind of concept right if parents realize that they may no longer love each other But they have something in common, and what they have in common is the love of their children, and they love their children deeply. If you knew that something could hurt your child, you wouldn't do it. If hurting the other parent or hating the other parent could hurt your child, maybe there's a better way to do it. Now, I realize there are certain situations where it would be better not to have communication with the other parent. Some situations are like that. However... If you can continue to have a co-parenting relationship where you basically think of it like this. The two of you as parents are CEO of a company. You may not like each other all that much or get along all that well, but you know that by working together and using your skills together, your product is going to be successful. And you think of your children as your product, you probably will think differently about how you might interact with the other parent. I love that, yeah. It's an interesting concept, but it does, parents get it, and they really do get it. Yeah, I think you have to kind of pull people out of their pain. You know, I mean, they're in so much pain usually, so then you have to pull them out of whatever paradigm they're in and say, you know, here's a new paradigm to sort of put yourself into. And I, I think the corporate, that, that's, a great, that's a great analogy because yeah. it and takes I, all the emotion out of it. Right? it. It does. It makes it very practical. Right. And, and the faster, this is my experience, the faster you can get out of the emotional pain of what the other parent created, maybe in your world, Mm -hmm. and realize that they were there for a reason. Even the pain they caused was there for a reason. I mean, I look at where I am today and I think, uh, you know, I thank my ex. (laughs) Because without all that pain, I wouldn't have learned where to look to find something that would offer people something better than what I experienced. Yeah. So... Yeah, right. Yeah, that's a different mindset. Right. And it's it's a paradigm shift. It really is, it is a paradigm shift. Yeah. Yeah, your point about even when you're older how painful it can be um rings true. I had a, a my college roommate's father walked out her freshman year of college. You know, he clearly was just waiting for her to graduate from high school. And I think, you know, as soon as she had her diploma in her hand, <laughs> he had a suitcase in his hand. Yeah. And she was so devastated, and, you know, it it was clear that he was thinking, oh, she's got to be over this. And I think, Mm -hmm. you know, as your kids are launching into the world themselves, and they really Mm -hmm. need the stability of your, you know, family unit to to feel like they have a launch pad to launch from, and and hers had crumbled at that moment. But I think a lot of people do that. They wait until, as I I hadn't heard the term gray divorce, but I really like that, but 
Yeah, and it is it, it is kind of interesting because I think what kids experience, even older kids, is how much was true and how much wasn't. Yeah. Did you fake it? And if you fake that, you know, loving mom and loving dad, have you faked something with me? What was real? What wasn't? So when parents think that they're going to wait till their kids are a certain age, if you're miserable and you're treating each other in a way that your kids know you're miserable and thus your kids are miserable, even though I don't advocate divorce, I think it's not a good idea to stay together for the sake of the kids because ultimately what you're doing for the sake of the kids is actually causing more harm. Yeah. So that part of it, you know, not every couple that comes together, was that a good choice? Yeah. You know, at the same time, is there a way to uncouple that you can make it be a good choice and have your kids have the benefit of knowing each of you as individuals. That's the other thing that happens. You're thought of as this unit, your mom and dad, and all of a sudden you're an individual. There's so much to learn for kids to learn about their parents mm-hmm. as individuals. Um, that can be good and bad, <laughs> right? <laughs> but you hope that's good. Um, and it allows parents to keep growing in a way that they might not have had they stayed in the marriage. So that's really interesting. I hadn't thought about that. that, that that's exactly right. That's exactly right. What are some of the big pitfalls that you see parents make with, I mean, I know a lot of parents tend to use their, because their kids are the biggest bargaining chip and they tend to use them as pawns against each other. I think that's kind of a classic cliche, but it's a cliche for a reason. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's talk about some of the pitfalls of what people do during divorce vis-a-vis their children that, that is so particularly harmful. I think that's the biggest one. Yeah. And in litigation, because it's really not about the kids, um, you're going to use any emotional tool that you could possibly use to get the other person's attention or to hurt them. Mm-hmm. Uh, in collaborative, because right off the bat, the family is working with a child specialist right away. Um, this is what's fascinating. Kids get an opportunity to talk with the child specialist about what it is they're thinking and feeling and what they'd like to see happen. And if they could have the conversation with this parent or that parent, what would that look like? The child specialist then helps them have that conversation. Hmm. Uh, You really want the child to be able to have the conversation with the parent, but if they can't, you become the voice of the child. And what's fascinating too, I have to share this, is that even though the children are not in the meetings that go on about the substance of the divorce itself, you know, the asset dividing and all that, their picture is. And you ask oh. the parents to bring the picture of the children, right? And they're front and center in the center of the room. And we try and, you know, when we're sitting at round tables if we can or tables if we can, often the child specialist will, when there's conflict in the room, will bring it back to the focus of the kids. And they might do it in a way that they become the voice of the child. I've done this before in situations that needed it where, you know, mom, when you say it like that, this is what happens to me. You know, Dad, when you say it like that, this is how I just get really quiet inside and it hurts. But if I can say something like, you know, when you are working it out with each other like this, it makes me not have to worry about what my future is going to look like because I can see you're working it out. When you can do that in the room at the right time and the parents feel it and see it, it's amazing what happens to the conflict. It will dissipate very, very quickly. Now, you hope it dissipates when they're out of the room as well, um, but you remind them how important it is, the decision they're making. I also tell parents this often. Imagine every conversation you have with any person now or a professional, your child's sitting in the room. Mm. What is it you want them to hear? 
And we can sometimes be on our best behavior. <laughs> and often we are when we're, you know, um, when we're trying to be on our best behavior. Um, but it does really help parents to really realize, you know, everything we're doing here is for the benefit of the kids. Even the way they write their agreements. Uh, I do um, the parenting plan often with parents. Help them create it. And you often, I'll often share, imagine your children are going to read this 25 years from now. What are you going to want them to know about your intent of how you want to parent? And mm-hmm. it can shift the language very quickly, and it can shift the intent very quickly of what the parents want. Wow. So, again, you're putting, you're empowering the parents to make the best decisions possible. Nobody's ever going to know their children better than they. Right. Right? Right. And I think the other pitfall, uh, this happened in our divorce, my parents' divorce, because I was a teen, is they use you as a confidant. And they, you know, because now you're kind of coming of age, and so, you Absolutely. know, they'll spill the beans about, mm-hmm. you know, exactly what was done. And You just said a very interesting thing. You said in our divorce, which really focuses on the idea that kids do very much feel mm-hmm. they're part of this divorce. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, uh, younger children will often say to you, you know, maybe if I was better behaved or if I did this or that, mom would stay together and mom and dad would stay together or whatever. And you really want kids to know that it's not about them. But truly in their world, it's all about them because that's where they are normally developmentally. Mm-hmm. And the pain that happens when you do use a child as a confidant, the parent that's saying something at the moment isn't realizing how it's falling on the child they don't get it they don't understand it that's why the child specialist can really help in that um to make a comment about who dad's dating or who's mom mom is dating and that kind of thing also hurts them Mm. and what you want parents to understand is that children often see themselves as part mom part dad Mm. so if you're hurting the other parent you're truly actually hurting your child because your child's going to wonder well am i like that do just they think I'm like that too. Will I be like that someday? So yeah, that's a huge pitfall to use the child as your sounding board. Go to your therapist, talk to your coach, talk to the child specialist, not Not put it on your child. Right. Yeah. Right. Great advice. Uh, My guest today is Patricia Quattro. The book, uh, the book, I'm so used to saying that because (laughs) the book is coming. There's always a book. (laughs) There will be a book (laughs) and I really can't wait for it. Um, she is with Collaborative Divorce Solutions. Let's give out the um, email address one more time because uh, you probably, you know. Okay, so just look up www.cdsoc.com, and it's Collaborative Divorce Solutions of Orange County. I also wanted to. You can um, find, and you can find a great bio on you as well. Yeah, um, actually, so when you, you go to the website, you can find out all kinds of information and mm-hmm. see all the professionals. You'll see a picture of what they look like and something about their background. Um, and there, it's listed in alphabetical order, so you just go through and you look at who are the attorneys and the financial and the mental health professionals. Um, also, I want to say, even if someone's not doing the collaborative work, these are great resources for therapists because they're not only trained as therapists, but they're trained in mediation and collaboration. Their skills are even greater, even greater. I want to also give the information on um, St. Andrews, the oh, Divorce yeah. Recovery Program. Yeah, let's okay. do that. And that number it's um, is nine four nine five seven four two 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 two, and it's the program is run twice a year, six week segments. So the next one coming up is coming up pretty quickly, September fifteenth, and will go to October thirtieth. Okay. And that is for parents, and they can go individually, teens, 
and That's children. Cool. I actually work with the teens. I love working with the teens. And my oldest daughter does the children's program. Oh, is that right? Yeah, they oh, went through the program. Great. So I, um, I think a great deal of this program. All volunteers, wow. again too. So it's Thursday nights, six Thursday nights. Wow. Totally worth it. Yeah. And do you have to have a degree to go through the program? I mean, do you have to have a marriage and family counseling degree or a law degree? Or in collaborative work, absolutely. So you have to be in your practice field um, without any marks on your, you know, your your history. Um, as well as uh, years of experience and then all the training that goes on for the collaboration, which is a three-day training for Orange County, and that's coming up in January. It's going to be three days in January. And then you also have mediation training. So I had about 40 hours of mediation training. That gets you started. But you continue training all the way through. If you become one of the professionals in this, you're training all the time. That's so great. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. It really is. I mean, that's an important part of it. And I, I mean, l- attorneys obviously have continuing legal education, but not in collaboration and mediation and, mm-hmm. you know, all of the things that are so critical to this yeah. to this process. Um, so you brought up, you know, mom or dad's new girlfriend or new spouse. Do you have recommendations for how to kind of navigate yes. new, new relationships? <laughs> yeah, I would say... As you are going through divorce, probably the thing that will cost the most emotionally and financially is to bring another person into your world while you're going through it. It is stupid. I got to tell you, I, I, I can't even say it in a nice way. It's stupid because yeah. even though you're trying to fill the void because you've been lonely for so long and you need to know that you're attractive to somebody else or you, know, you want somebody in your world, it isn't the time because you're not healthy yet. Even if you've been in a, in a marriage that has felt like a divorce <laughs> for many years, mm. your kids need to see you finish the process and keep it family focused. And then wait a little bit of time. Do a divorce recovery program mm-hmm. because the person you are going through divorce is pretty wounded. Mm-hmm. And that those wounds aren't going to heal mm-hmm. um, if you are substituting another person for another person. So... You also don't want to introduce children to someone you're dating until you're absolutely sure this person's going to be there for the rest of time because abandonment that happens in the divorce process will happen again if you're in a relationship with someone and that relationship ends. If the child bonds to that person that you're having the relationship with, now they've just suffered another abandonment. We also know that abandonment for the human psyche is one of the things that causes personality disorder. So the more abandonment you feel in your life, if you don't have healthy ways of dealing with it, it it starts to take its toll. Mm-hmm. And you become less and less empathetic to the needs of other people. You may be sympathetic, but empathetic is really understanding somebody at, at that core. Yeah. Um, you need to be em- empathetic of your children. And they may not be ready for you to substitute mom or dad for whoever is the latest person you're dating. It is natural for people to want to date right away. I mean, Match.com went crazy. I I used to write and speak on dating after divorce, and boy, the stories I could tell you. Um, (laughs) I even did the Match.com and even said in my profile, I'm on this because I'm doing this research. And I I met some phenomenal people and then some really scary people. (laughs) So I I could lecture on it in a way that I could help people, you know, kind of navigate some of that, which is really good too. Yeah, that is good. What are the biggest surprises that have come out of your work there that you just wouldn't have? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I will tell you that I've always loved my work. As a teacher, I love my work. As a therapist, I love my work. As a collaborative professional, 
I love my work even more. I wake up in the morning excited to do my work. And even though the, the topic is painful, divorce is painful, when I get to see people make all those shifts that they make in their lives, if they do do the work they need to do, to see the success in them, mm-hmm. it is, um, it's, it's not even something I can explain with words. It, it really empowers me to want to do the work at a better and better and better level all the time and learn more and more and more all the time. I, I absolutely am surprised that this is where I was supposed to be and that route <laughs> that I had to take to get to it. I would never have guessed that that was what was going to be in my future. It's funny that you say that because I would get, when I was talking to the death doula a couple of weeks ago, which is also another painful time of life, all of the unexpected joys that come out of really what you would think of as scary or, or you know, or, or um, sad or tragic or whatever labels you put on divorce and whatever labels you put on death, all of the unexpected joys and richnesses and wonder and I don't know, all the, all the, <laughs> all the great things that come out of these otherwise, you know, kind of tragic topics. Um, it's, it's, it's great. I mean, it's, there's balance in all things. And yeah, when you understand, I mean, it's interesting, in, in, you know, to become a therapist, you're studying a lot of Western psychology and we label and we diagnose and we do all that, that, um, really wasn't where I found the joy in the work that I do in Eastern philosophy. Everything I learned about it had to do with balance and there's balance in all things. And we, if, we learn how to balance um, the polar opposites of things and realize that you need the negative to have the positive. You need the sadness to know the joy. Um, you need the mess to know the cleanliness of things. I mean, you, the opposites are where we find the most mindfulness in our lives, and you can stay mindful. I know that term is used often and overused in many ways, but if you live truly mindfully, Whatever it is you are to experience, whoever you're to meet, um, and I know that often I'll, I'll tell clients this, when you meet somebody, it's for a reason, a season, or a lifetime. And you don't know when you meet someone how long they are in your life. So if you treat everybody as if it were for a lifetime, mm-hmm. you stay so much more present in the moment with them that there is joy in the presence of what it is you're doing. So even in divorce work, there's joy in it's going to transition hopefully from where it is so so sad and so difficult to wow i never knew i could live with such freedom yeah with such lightness in my world yeah yeah do you i don't i don't know if you follow up with your clients after after the divorce but i'm wondering it seems like it can't help but be the case that the post divorce world for these two people looks much nicer than the post-divorce world you know that that divorce is not just the the date on the court calendar but I mean you know it's the next 20 years yeah because I think one of the things that people don't realize is that when they go through a very um conflicted divorce the collateral damage of the friendship and the family and all of that is what they're not expecting you know often um you'll hear people say gosh, our friends really made decisions. They're going to go with him. They're going to go with her. They're going to, you know, or, or if it's a same sex marriage or whatever it is, you lose half of your world. And when you lose half of your world, you're really unsettled. So yes, there's a way, and this is what's really interesting. When friends around a 
couple that's doing a collaborative divorce see the kind of work and the shifting that goes on and how they can be very pleasant with each other um, at a social event or because there will be many social events if they have children, whether they like it or not. (laughs) Right. Right. You would far rather be at someone's wedding, happy that you're there and not worrying about who your ex is with Um, that. That's not healthy. What's healthy is, okay. can we do this in a better way so that our friends get to remain our friends? Can you go to a function and have your ex there and feel okay that your ex is there? You hope that that's going to be an end result. It's not always the case. Sometimes people don't want to see the other person ever again, and that's understandable. But if they have children, the children suffer if they can't. Right. Yeah. Right. And we were talking before the show about all of the empowering um, ways that women women lose their often lose their voices in marriage, either because they're not economically contributing to the marriage or because, I don't know, I have a whole variety of reasons, um, but how the, the process can really give women their voice back and, and you know, the re-entry into the work world can give them their voice back. And yeah, that was a great conversation we were having, and, and it goes both ways. It goes for men and women because in our day and age, sometimes women are the breadwinners and the fathers of the home at home or what, however the couple, if it's same-sex couple or whatever that might look like. Um, What we were talking about, though, is that when people are taught how to empower themselves, and and maybe it is getting out into the workforce and meeting a new group of friends and feeling good about what you're contributing and what you're bringing in financially, you start to see people grow at a very fast rate. Because, yes, what can happen in couplehood is that you get into that rut of the roles, Mm -hmm. and the role may not be exactly what you need. It's unfortunate that people think this is funny when people get married men will hope that she never changes and women hope there's something they can change about him right (laughs) that's right Right. (laughs) so you're in conflict to begin with but but what's interesting about that is that we are always in a state of change and if we don't move forward with that change and add to our lives in a way that we feel empowered we tend to not bring the best of ourselves forward and that's where unhappiness will sit so when somebody can do something different in their life they never thought they could do um, or go back to something they started to do when they were just out of college or in college, like we were talking about the fact that um, one of the things that really helped me was I got back into competitive sailboat racing and how incredibly alive I felt doing that, which was really what my was my therapy because anything having to do with the divorce was so difficult. But the minute I was on a sailboat, my mind had to be completely on that boat. So I knew exactly where my feet were at all times. Because <laughs> right. when you're racing, if you go off a boat, you're going to be off that boat till the race finishes. Right? <laughs> so, but it, use that as an analogy. You really want to put yourself into something, mind and body, and really have something that you're proud of that you can do. Because it does make you appreciate yourself so much more. Yeah. And right. thus other people can appreciate you too. I love that. That's a sweet note to end on. You know, we're out of time. Can you believe it? So fast. So fast. (laughs) It always goes so fast. Patricia Corteau, this is so great. This is so great. Thank you so much for this. Oh, it was my honor and my privilege. Mine too. Mine too. That was super fun. 
So that is all the time we have for today. I will be back here with you next Thursday. We are talking about um, ocean. We're talking about the ocean. Ocean Institute women will be here. If you missed all or any part of today's show, it will be podcast shortly on KUCI's website, KUCI.org slash talk, and it will be on Kimberly's website, KimberlyMartin.com. Stay tuned. Coming up next is Counterspin. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. Have a great night.